just for all this time of worship that we have before you. We want to thank you, Lord God, that our time before you, Lord God, is in spirit and in truth. We want to thank you, Lord God, that you've called us to walk in a confidence that, that surprises the world, that many of the world, they can't figure us out. They can't figure out why in the midst of all life's challenges that we walk with such assurance. But it is because of the Spirit of the living God that has already fallen fresh in us through Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to thank you so much for that right now during this time. Lord God, we pray as we continue to walk through your word that you would enlighten us, that you would strengthen us, Lord God, that we would get to know you a little bit better, Lord. Uh, Father, we realize that it's not enough simply to know your word or even simply to memorize your word, that you've called us to be in active and an intentional relationship with you. Uh, so for that, uh, we are grateful, Lord God, that uh, you've given us, Lord God, or we have uh, the desire to come before you uh, to soak up your word today, Lord God, in our presence. Uh, we thank you for our friends who are with us today. Uh, we thank you for their life, Lord God, and the blessings of, of marriage that they've had for many years, Lord God. Let that continue to be an example to the rest of us, Lord God. We love you so much. Now, Father, help us to open our eyes and our hearts, again, to be receptive of your word as we con consider again this aspect, of this intersection between faith and works. We love you today, Lord God, and all the things that you're doing in our midst, and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue down this journey of the intersection of faith and work, we will today focus on the one matter which plagues many of us almost on a daily basis. And it has to do with our work and the difficulty or the struggle that we face as we engage in this daily activity we call a J-O-B, that we call a job. Looking at what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, we know that they were disobedient as the Lord strictly prohibited them from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Recall that there were plenty of trees and plants in that garden to eat. And they had plenty to satisfy themselves, but uh, of all that they had access to, that wasn't enough. They had to have the one more thing. And who knows that sometimes that one more thing is always the thing that gets us in trouble. The Lord, he placed limitations on mankind to help to display the difference between uh, creator and also created. Uh, because God can't place limitations on himself because he is God. He has certain limitations because he's holy and he's righteous. Uh, but only God can place limitations or restrictions on another. So God wanted Adam and Eve to know that being made in the image of God was not the same as being identical to God. <laughs> so the serpent invited Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because uh, he told her, because you could possibly be, he said, you could be just like God, in other words. And this is the beginning, right? We mention this because this is the beginning of all of our struggle with work. Now, I know some of you don't have any struggle on your job, amen? 
Some of you, when you go to work day in and day out, it's always good, right? And you're glad to be there, and you never have any struggles, amen? And for you, I want to talk with you, amen? Because maybe you need to be preaching this message instead of me. But we're going to start off by uh, here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to see very clearly uh, three manipulations the serpent used to persuade Eve. Three manipulations the serpent used to persuade Eve. Number one, that in his sly self he told Eve that even though you heard God's word, you heard wrong. Or maybe you just simply misunderstood. So someone comes to you and tell you that you think you heard God's word, but you didn't hear no such thing. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Or did you get it wrong? Did you hear wrong, Miss Eve? The problem here is uh, that there was a willingness to listen, listen to another voice outside of the confidence found in the Lord himself. That other voice always seems to get us in trouble time and time again. Notice that the serpent, he knew what God commanded Adam and Eve, right? Because remember, as you look in the passage here in verse 1, that he was the originator of the conversation. So the first thing he does, he goes to Eve and basically starts talking about God's Word. You know, sometimes uh, some people so slick and so sly, they can bring God's Word to you in a way that next thing you know, uh, you've been turned and twisted upside down and you begin to think some things that you wouldn't have never thought before about God. And this was the case with Eve. So uh, the serpent, he knew what God had commanded Adam and Eve, which means if he knew that, uh, the implication is that he had to have been around to hear or to know the conversation that was going on. I don't know, maybe, right? We don't see it exactly. Maybe uh, uh, that he heard Adam tell Eve what God said as they were having their time of communication, as they were having their close time of talking. Maybe he knew what Adam told Eve because he was there listening in on their conversation. But the bottom line, in order to twist truth, you must first have some idea what truth is. So within the garden, uh, God had plenty of provisions for the Adams family. Amen? Uh, God had plenty of provisions for them. Uh, the adversary's plan was to get Eve to focus on not God's provision, but God's what? Prohibition. Just like the devil. I don't want you to focus on, you know, how God has blessed you with the house that you're in. I want you to complain about where you are, all right? Because by complaining where you are, maybe you can be somewhere else. Isn't that something this is, that proverbial, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? You know, Satan, uh, the serpent, he told Eve that, look, I know that you have uh, 40 acres and a mule, but if you look at that one little tree over there on that one little bitty patch of grass, that's going to give you everything that you can possibly imagine. So instead of looking at all your 40 acres, I want you to look at the one by one by one square foot of grass that you can have on the other side. Next thing you know, you start looking at the 40 acres, and you start looking at the one patch of grass, saying, but that one patch of grass will make me happy. See, this is what the serpent was saying, that you 
are not going to be happy until you have that. Once you have that, then you're going to be happy. I recall one time changing jobs years ago. I said, man, the place I am, it's, uh, it's okay, but I want to have that job, right? You know, even though I've been here for years and I'm established, but that job there, that's going to make me happy. Sure enough, I got the job. And you know what happened on day one when I, when I arrived on that job? You know what happened? First thing I said, boy, did you make a mistake. The first, this happened on day one, probably within a couple of hours. I said to myself, boy, did you make a mistake. Why? Because I thought, what, that the grass was greener where? On the other side. And sometimes it may look like it's better on the other side, but you don't know the hell you're going to go through until you get over there and you leave all the goodness that you're already living in. When we believe there is no freedom in the Lord, our ideas about what needs to occur in our lives, that it begins to shift dramatically. But here was the second manipulation of the serpent. It says, you will not surely die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, here it is, you will not surely die. This reinforced the false idea, right? This reinforced the false idea that uh, the word God spoke was not true. Who knows that this is one of the things that we battle day in and day out. We battle day in and day out uh, trying to discern, trying to decide whether or not God's word is true here, whether it's true here. This doesn't make sense. So since it doesn't make sense, let's throw this out. Let's throw this out. And we find out later when we get a chance to meet God that all of God's word is inspired of God. It has been breathed out by God. So therefore, it is also true. We read earlier... In uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and we heard how Jesus, when he would begin a phrase, and he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. You recall that? Recall reading that? Truly, truly, I say to you. And some of you already know because you've heard me uh, mention this before, but you know the word truly, truly, uh, there in the original language is actually the word amen, amen. Amen, amen. In other words, there's nothing but truth in that which is to be spoken. So Jesus says that not only uh, is the word that I speak true, he says I am also true because John says what? In John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what? was God, the Lagos, that he is all the embodiment of truth because God is all the embodiment of truth. And if God himself is the embodiment of truth, the words that he speaks are also true. But the serpent comes along and he says, he says this, I need for you to doubt God's word. Isn't this the way it goes? You're on the airwaves, the internet waves, the text waves, the smartphone waves, right? Uh, that, uh, that the message that sometimes comes out is, I need for you to doubt God's word. You know, I, I think it's pretty fascinating that people like Stephen Hawking, that oftentimes they spend their time trying to diminish all things of God. But recently, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before that, at this particular time, uh, he has began to back off of some of the things that he's saying. This smart guy, you know the guy that I'm talking about, Stephen Hawking, that's in uh, that, that wheelchair that speaks through that tube, uh, that types everything out, and that's an auto voice, right? He's very, very smart over there, supposedly in, in, in Europe somewhere. So for years and years and years, he's after the church. He's after this idea about God. There's no God. There's evolution. There was a big bang, so on and so forth. Here's all the equations. He quote all the equations in his mind, pages, 40 pages. He knows where he makes a mistake 
in, in 40 or 50 or 100 pages. He knows where to go back. He's been saying all this stuff is not true. And then a few years ago, he says, maybe. He said, it looks like maybe there might be some itty-bitty possibility of some kind of being out there. So if he's true, if God is true, if his words are true, then we need to take heed of what his word says and not doubt his words. So when the devil tells you, uh, don't listen to all that Bible stuff. You don't even have your own mind to think from. Well, wrong. You don't know. You don't know the Bible. You don't know God. You don't know Jesus. And you certainly don't know me. The third manipulation. He says, Eve, look here. You're going to be like God after you eat of the tree. Verse 5, Genesis 3, 5. So it says, for, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is also another interestingly deceptive statement. Why is it interestingly deceptive? Okay, and, and many of you, you already know this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What does it say? If you don't remember, it says what? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Ah. The serpent told Eve, if you eat of the tree, you're going to be like God, but God had already said, you're like me. Huh. God has already called you to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But some people, they think that if I do this and that, then I'll be stronger, then I'll be better, then I'll be this and then I'll be that, not realizing who you already are. So if you're trying to figure out who you are, don't let the devil define you. God has already defined and described who you are. God has already decided who you are. Eve, did you not remember what God says? He said, uh, let us make man and woman, right, in our image, in our likeness. So how could you desire to hear from a liar that you're not made in the image of God? So to listen to the lie, as opposed to listening to the Spirit, was absolutely tragic in every single sense. Eve was not told this directly, but she was led down this path to draw the conclusion on her own. You see, he didn't, uh, sometimes uh, the devil, he does not go at you directly. That oftentimes he'll lead you step by step. First you have someone tell you this, and then you have someone tell you this. The next thing you know, you're believing all this junk. The next thing you know, you have been totally deceived. So these manipulations by the serpent was not only an attempt uh, get this, get this, right? This was not only an attempt to get all of mankind to disobey God, but remember, this was also an attempt, uh, an attempt by Satan uh, to establish himself as a leader. This was an attempt by Satan to establish himself as a leader on earth. Remember, because he had already tried it where? Satan had already tried to be a leader in heaven, God said, get out of here. Not only get out of here, but I'm going to send you to hell one day. And why God didn't send him to hell right away, that's for a, a different discussion. Uh, but there is a biblical answer to that as well. Uh, nevertheless, uh, God had already kicked him out because he was trying to be a leader in heaven. And God said, I'm not having that. So now he comes to earth and he says, I know what I will do. I will try to manipulate all of mankind to get them to let me be their leader. 
He succeeded in a small offense. He succeeded. And again, in, in, in Luke chapter 4, the same thing with Jesus. Remember after Jesus had fasted for 40 days, you remember who showed up? Do you remember who showed up after Jesus had fasted for 40 days? Here he is again. And what was he trying to do with Jesus? Do you recall that he was trying to get Jesus, one of the things he was trying to get Jesus to do was to worship him. You get that? So if I can get, I already got Adam and Eve to do what I wanted them to do. So now Jesus first, uh, he tries it in his manipulative, his manipulative fashion. And he says, uh, you know you're hungry, Jesus. Right? Chapter 4. You know that you're hungry, so why don't you go ahead and, and, and turn that rock into bread? See, what it is, ultimately, he's trying to lead Jesus down this path. So do the thing first that you know you can do, and, 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 and this is not worshiping me. Turning uh, the stone into bread is not worshiping me because, Jesus, this is for you, man. This is for you. See, the devil, he's trying to get us to walk down this path just one small step at a time. You remember that ultimately it led up to the fact that Jesus told, uh, uh, Satan told Jesus that, uh, go ahead, you, you, do you see uh, this pinnacle? Go up there and throw yourself down. Because if you throw yourself down, you know the angels are going to hold you up and you're not going to even hurt your toe, Jesus. Jesus says, no, absolutely, I'm not going to do that either. Because you are being presumptuous on God. So in other words, don't go out here and walk in the middle of the street to see if a car is going to hit you and think God is going to rescue you. That is being presumptuous on God. And then finally, you know, Satan told Jesus, okay, 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 got it. You, you got me, but look here. If you bow down and worship me, he just went ahead with a full blast. Just bow down and worship me. You see, had Jesus done that, that would change uh, who we all are today. All of us today, if Jesus would have bowed down and worshiped the devil at that time, all of us would be on our way to hell just like the angels who had fallen from heaven. Because remember, all those angels who were disobedient to God uh, in heaven, they have no recourse except they're going straight to hell. So had it not been for Jesus uh, coming to save us, uh, then our recourse would have been nothing except going to hell as well. So, these manipulations... They were a quest, ultimately, for the adversary to try and throne himself on earth. And right now, he still has one problem. His only problem now is us. His only problem is us, we who have been born again, who have been reconnected with God, that we are currently in the way. So Eve, though, she took the bait, and Adam followed. Soon afterwards, an immediate change came over them, verse 7. And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So their eyes were truly open, and they knew they had done something wrong, whereas before, wrong had not even been a part of their vocabulary. Couldn't even think about anything bad. Uh, but now that they did something bad, now they're thinking about stuff bad. So one thing that the devil said was true, their eyes would be open. But they were open to the fact that something had gone irreversibly wrong. They now knew they went in the wrong direction and had been duped, but there was nothing that they could tangibly do about it. Oh, Adam, uh, we have been tricked 
Eve, we have been tricked, but what can we do? Hide from God. Having transgressed against the Lord, they would be held accountable. Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Hiding from the Lord is not hiding from the Lord. How many know that? When you think that you're hiding from God, you're not hiding from God at all. You're just fooling yourself. Just because you changed clothes, just because you went and hid in the basement, or you didn't go to church, that doesn't mean you're able to hide from God. Do you know some people don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, they don't interact with people of the faith because they think that they want to hide from God and they don't want to hear what God has to say. Therefore, if I hide from God, he's not saying anything. There is no hiding from the Lord if your life is in a constant state of flux. In a constant state of visibility. You can't hide from God. Why? Because God is what? Everywhere. God is everywhere. So this action created major disruptions in relationship. So uh, this disobedience of Adam and Eve created this major disruption. First, the relationship with God was obviously broken. They heard the sound of the Lord walking. It's very interesting here in verse 8. We're familiar with the, the passage when it says the cool of the day, uh, but in the original language it says that they, uh, that they had been walking in the, the wind or the breeze of the day. So within the garden there's there, there a slight wind of the day. The response was striking because they hid themselves where before they walked around freely. I'm not sure how many of you, uh, as you were, when you were kids, how uh, sometimes you would do something wrong, you know? And when you would do something wrong, uh, and you didn't want your parents to find out, number one, you try to correct the problem first. You remember that? And then you knew that something wasn't quite right all the way. Right? Like someone would break a, a, a vase or something like that. And on the edge, you knew that that super glue didn't cover up that one missing piece. So what you would do, you would turn that vase away. And then not only that, uh, uh, when your parents come home, you just would always be missing in action. Right? And you would be missing in action because you know that even if your parents looked at you, You'd be looking at them talking about, what, what, what? I had, I had one of my children, I won't tell you who it, who, who it is, uh, because maybe they would be embarrassed. We always knew when something wasn't right with this particular kid, always, because this particular kid of ours, when you would ask them what's going on, they would look just like this. <laughs> I'm like, well, what's going on? Nothing. Their eyes would be big. You can see the whites of their eyes, very little black, but lots of white of their eyes, they would just look like that. What's going on? Nothing? Everything is okay? And they would walk around, look at and then they would try to go to everyone. No, 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 come back here. What's going on? Nothing. Well, you're looking funny. Oh, no, I'm not. Everything is okay. And they were like that for a long time. So for that particular kid, it was advantageous for them just to go ahead and tell the truth from the very beginning because we knew instantly when they would tell a lie. I hope they don't realize that, uh, that, that they still kind of do that even today. Anyway, God bless them. Amen. So uh, uh, this tells us, you know, uh, that uh, the relationship uh, between Adam and Eve and God, that it was broken and God, he went the extra step uh, for them and asked, uh, Adam, where are you? If God knows everything, why would he ask Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to fess up and say, God, here I am, and I just really, really, really 
just messed it up. Can you ever forgive me? Uh, so instead of doing that, you go and you hide. What do you do when you've sinned against God? Do you run and hide with the hopes he won't find out? Or do you confess to get it all right? You see, when we hide ourselves, it means we don't want to be found for whatever reason. The idea is not closeness, but the idea is distance. And Adam and Eve uh, uh, tried uh, to achieve distance between them and the Lord. This act of disobedience created a disruption in this relationship. Is your relationship with God disrupted today? So next, uh, there was a disruption and brokenness in relationship between Adam and Eve. We understand this as blame was immediately cast on the other spouse. Genesis 3, verse 12. When brought into accountability, God asked Adam, did you eat of fruit of tree? Then it says here, verse 12, the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. This was in response to the Lord asking the question as to whether or not he ate from the tree. God simply asked the question, Adam, did you eat from the tree? His response was, yes, and I'm sorry. No, his response was, she made me do it. So in other words, the devil made me do it. Let's just blame him for everything. He was not willing to take ownership of his activities and all the things that had gone on in the house. You see, man, if you're going to be the leader in your house, you need to start acting like a leader and stop acting like a follower in the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, there's a disruption, a relationship between a humankind and God's animal creation. Genesis 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, the blame game, it went on. Uh, but uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in other words, we know that, we know for a fact that uh, somehow the, uh, the Satan had embodied himself, had placed himself, uh, was using that snake, using that serpent. Uh, but uh, that serpent, I'm not sure how that happened because uh, I wasn't there. I'm not sure how it worked spiritually in that particular nature, but that serpent was also an animal as well. So somehow it was used by... So therefore, uh, there is a, a disconnect now between all of mankind and all of the animals. So there were, should have never been a time when, when uh, we should be afraid of the lion. There should have never been a time when we should have been afraid of the bear. Right? Can you imagine of a time we come walking down the street, there's a, uh, there's a pit bull there, and he has his big old box head, and we know it could, could bite down us uh, like a vice, and it sees us, and it goes running. There was a time when all animals feared us. And you know why, don't you? Because we had dominion on the earth. We had dominion on the earth. But because of sin, and now these things have flipped around. Why bring these things to light? Because we need to understand that the entire environment became more hostile to the spiritual and the physical ease in which the human race once operated in. Right? The entire earthly atmosphere, it was changed. So in order 
for work, and we are talking about work, by the way. You're wondering when you're going to get to it. Uh, in order for work to be a God-honoring and worshipful experience, it requires all things to work together in harmony, and that's the way it was prior to the fall. So the consequences, here it is, is what you've been waiting for. The consequences of the fall. The serpent was cursed above all livestock and all the beasts of the field. Again, this will be detrimental. Uh, here in Genesis 3.15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here's the one I know women you love the most, Genesis 3.16. The woman's pain would be multiplied in childbirth. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Do you see the redundancy there? You see the first part, it says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. That's enough. So when you have a kid, you're going to be in a lot of pain, ladies, it says. Isn't that enough? But then it says, in pain you shall bring forth children. In other, in other words, it's saying, God is saying, I don't want you to miss this. But uh, thank goodness to our modern research and science, amen? Because modern science says, it doesn't have to be what God said. Because you can go in and have this child and don't feel a thing. Even though God says that you're going to have a lot of pain in childbirth, how about if I just shoot you with this epidural? Because if I shoot you, if I hook you up with this epidural, you can have about 15 kids and you ain't going to feel nothing. One after another. But then the trick to that is, right, when you begin to uh, fool around with the processes of God, it's not true for everyone. We know it's not true for everyone, but for some ladies, they begin to experience complications because of the epidural. You've heard of that, haven't you? Ladies, you know. Some of you, now I'm not saying don't get one. I'm not saying get one. I'm, I'm like Switzerland on this. I'm neutral, right? You go how God leads you. But all I'm saying is for, for some ladies, and maybe a small percentage of them, that uh, they experience major complications because of that. So I'm not trying to scare you into not getting one, into getting one. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just stating that uh, within the modern mind, that one of the things that we try to do, we try to circumvent uh, what God has already said. And every time we do that, we end up with consequences that we are not ready to face. That's all I'm saying. Looking now at the proportion of Scripture dedicated to Adam, we see that the biggest consequence of the fall fell on him, right? Because there's more that was actually, that was literally written about Adam in this whole situation because it goes from verses 17 all the way through verse 19. As a matter of fact, let's read this. It says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Uh, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, even for the devil and even for Eve, uh, there's a short, a small amount of scripture dedicated to the consequence. But for Adam, it was extensive. Why? Because God ultimately held Adam accountable because he was the head. You can't say that she made me do it. Well, you can say it, but God ain't trying to hear that. And he'll deal with that. So first, the very ground was cursed because of Adam's decision to listen to his wife. Now again, I have to always qualify that. That does not mean that, men, you should never listen to your wife. Right? 
Because oftentimes our wives bring an aspect of wisdom into a situation that we may have never thought of. It's happened to me many times, at least once that I can think of in 30, 31 years. Right? More, more, more than that, more than that, right? Two times, all right? But, 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 but a lady oftentimes, have, they have a perspective that we are void of. And a lot of times if we are so... Isn't that something that we can be so manly that we forget about God, but what it really means to be a man is to follow after God. But we can be so manly that we tell our woman, you, you, know, you just be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. I got this. It would be the wrong thing. And we know that it's easy to sin, don't we? Sin really doesn't require much planning because you just do it, right? Nike, just do it. But planning only comes into play when you don't want to get caught. But Scripture goes on to explain in more details about the struggle Adam would have in trying to provide for his family. When he tried to cultivate the ground, there would be weeds all over the place getting in the way of him trying to bring the bacon home, trying to bring the food home. And again, here's, here's another one of those things, right? So here it is that God said that the ground is going to be cursed, that you're going to eat from the ground, but you're going to work hard. And, you, and for every slice of bread that you have, every sandwich that you make, every piece of toast that you eat, Adam, we want you to know that you're going to sweat and make that happen. Digging in the ground, there's God, there's, there's thorns, there's thistles, there's dandelions everywhere. There's, there's chickweed, right? There's creeping Charlie. Everywhere we look, I'm pulling it out the ground, I'm working hard. So mankind in his wisdom and his intellectual brain says, let's create a chemical in order to kill all the weeds, Amen. So we create chemicals to kill all the weeds. And then what happens? We discover years down the line that those chemicals are causing cancer in us. We're discovering they're making us sick. Why? Because, again, we're trying to circumvent the hand of God who says it's going to be hard. God says your work is going to be hard because you were disobedient from the very thing that was easy for you to do, easy to sin. He's going to make everything else hard to do from the ground. So we have our struggles. And it seems like every time that we invent something to overcome that struggle, that we have problems. It says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So remember, work is a blessing and it is not a curse. Why? Because as we heard from last time, that, that, that God created us and after he created us, after he created Adam, uh, the next thing that he did for Adam was what? He gave him a what? Okay, let's try it again, because maybe some were with me and some were one. Uh, after God created Adam, the next thing that he gave Adam was what? He gave Adam a job. He gave you a job. If you are... In school, you've heard me say this before, that your primary work as a child is what? School. And to do chores around the house, right? You can't just go to school and then come home and look at your parents and say, where's my food? You can't look at your parents and say, okay, when are you going to wash the dishes because the dishes are piling up, mom and dad? You can't look at your parents and say, uh, I need new clothes, right? You have to be a part of the process. That's a part of your work. That's a part of your blessing. It is a blessing to go to the church every Sunday, isn't it? 
It is a blessing to be able to pray to God anytime that you want to, right? And it's also a blessing to be able to go to work on Monday, isn't it? Say amen. Right, because we know some folks are struggling trying to find jobs. So know that it, this is one of those things. You know, certain things you say that, you know, I, I need to do this, that, and the other, or some people invite you to do certain things, but one of the things that you ask them, uh, well, I just need to know what is it going to entail. What, I, what am I going to do once I, once I get there? Because that will just make the whole process easier, right? So one of the things that we need to know is that it's work will be hard. We will sometimes not like the people we work with. Sometimes the people will get on our nerves. Sometimes the job will feel boring. Sometimes we will feel as if we do not get paid enough. Sometimes we will feel as if people are taking advantage of us and sometimes they might be taking advantage of us. We will feel all of these things. Sometimes we don't want to go to work. See, this is that attitude, that behavior, this is a part of the work. But in that work, we are to worship. We are to worship God in our work. Not just me as a preacher and a teacher of Scripture, but also you. What is your job? The struggles are there, but in that you are also a minister. You are there. God has uniquely and originally placed you there for his divine purposes. Now, one day, you just might retire. You already know that I don't believe in retirement. But you might retire. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you don't stop one, you stop everything that you do. What it means is you, there's, a, there's a shift. There's a shift in responsibility that God gives you. So you may stop doing this after having done this for a season in your life, but now you do this, whatever that second thing may be. When, when I sometimes think of uh, my father, some of our other elder saints within our congregation, that I believe that one of your responsibilities in ministry is even with the grandkids and even with us because you begin to model to us what it really means to live a life of faith in Christ and to share with us some of the struggles that you yourself have gone through. So for Adam and Eve, the harmony that they once enjoyed in approaching work, remember they, it was once okay. They had fun worshiping God through work. That it was compromised and in a place of harmony, there's friction, blame, and a lack of trust. Solution for all of us, it begins with knowing Jesus Christ. Right? Because first, being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we begin to view work in this proper way. Now, that doesn't mean that, uh, that if you don't know Christ, that you don't find any joy in your work. Why do I say that? Because that's how God originally created us, for work. So you may find some measure of joy there. But in order for it to be complete, the, the, the full nine yards, the whole nine yards, of that uh, to be totally right, uh, that we have to be in relationship with Christ. And that puts us in right relationship with God. So your struggle, our struggles with work, it is because of the curse. And one thing that we can expect, we can expect for it to be hard. We can expect for it to be tough. We can expect for people not to cooperate. That's a part of the curse. But you can overcome if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you can also overcome by getting into Christ. God wants us to see this because by changing of the attitude, the changing by the way that we think in our brains, that even our job becomes a worshipful 
experience. Mine is, even in music, See, I, I get you. you. You probably say, yours is because you're always, you're always reading Scripture and you're, you're thinking about God all the time. But sometimes you can think about God so much that you can forget about God. Did you know that? That sometimes week after week of preparing sermons, did you know that you can actually forget? Because you're doing work, you're doing work, and it's like, you know, like what, what some, of, some of us do. But it has to do with our attitude. And even in, in music, it's the same way for me, but it has to do with my attitude. What am I thinking about as I'm going about my responsibility? That's why I enjoy music so much, because really, music is also a worship experience for me. Sometimes when I'm playing, I'm playing. You see me with my instrument turned up. I'm playing to God. That's what that means. I'm not just playing because I think I'm bad, because that ain't nothing. I'm playing because I am worshiping to God. That's what that means. I feel that on the inside. This just comes bubbling up, and I have nothing else on the inside of me but to say hallelujah. And I can only say hallelujah through, through the notes that I play. You can also say hallelujah to the Lord. I always mention the garbage man, but let's say if you're patching holes on the street, and there's potholes everywhere because you're filling holes and you're glorifying God because you might be saving a life. Or if you're a dentist, or maybe because you are <clears throat> filling the holes in people's mouth, or maybe getting their, sh their teeth straight, or even pulling teeth, right? Uh, because you know by doing so, you're going to cause them to be more healthy so they can live longer. So therefore, you are worshiping God that way, by allowing someone that has been made in his image to continue to live their life with more fullness. Or you might be a teacher, and that you're teaching someone else, you're teaching these little kids how to grow and to be a responsible uh, a person. You're glorifying God that way, because you're showing them how to, you should be, showing them how to live with integrity, showing them how to grow their brains, and be an example of what Christ-likeness is when you're in that situation. Whatever your uh, occupation is that you can glorify God, but yet there's still a struggle. And for that, we need God's grace, don't we? And we thank God for his grace and his mercy because he will always help us to walk through it in good fashion. Let's pray.